0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All
1: right, hello, and thank you very much once again for checking out uh, this, the latest episode of Vern on Baseball, my conversation with Royals ace. Uh, Brad Keller, we can can debate ace and number one and and, and the specific terminology, but this is the guy they're handing the ball to uh, game one, uh, opening day, uh, whatever big game we're discussing. uh, Brad Keller's the guy that the Royals are going to hand the ball to. I had a very nice conversation with him about a number of things. Um, The fact that he, like so many others that I've spoken with in the past, is still even though he's about to enter his fourth season in the uh, major leagues, as I mentioned, he is a bona fide front end of the rotation, kind of right handed arm, uh, but still am- amazed that he's here, that he uh, didn't get lost in the shuffle down in the minor leagues. He discusses his growth as a pitcher, the lessons learned from life and baseball. But we started with uh, something that we both have in common, and that is an affinity for John Smoltz, the Hall of Fame right-hander, a, a true throwback. Uh, look, this guy pitched in in this century, and, and yet he feels like a, a 70s, 80s kind of workhorse. Uh, Brad Keller grew up in Atlanta, grew up idolizing John Smoltz. So that's where we started uh, this edition of Vernon Baseball. So John Smoltz is your guy. I was diving into the numbers, and through the first 57 big league starts, you actually have a better ERA. You each have the same amount of career wins. And despite how different the times are with how managers and organizations handle starting pitchers, you're only 34 innings behind where John Smoltz was at this point in his career. Does that mean anything to you what do you think when you when you hear that
2: that's awesome I mean I you know idolized him i that was a I was never a huge like analyzed every game as a kid. I just loved watching baseball, but every time he pitched it just seemed like you know the guy went out and dominated and like that was the kind of guy where like for some reason it stuck with me of like his mentality how he went about his business like what he did on the mound it, it just seemed like someone that i I really wanted to try to idolize and so to hear that and hear that like our stats are somewhat similar is, is pretty crazy to, to fathom because like I said, that was a guy that I was just like, even like today, like he's still on such a pedestal in my eyes. Do you
1: remember the first time you you made the conscious decision to sacrifice for baseball?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I had three best friends in high school and we all uh, went on to play past high school baseball. And I think all three of us, when we were sophomores in high school, we all kind of like we were talking one one morning. We were in class and we were like, you know, let's, let's make something out of this. I felt like from that day forward, there was no question if what we were going to do at, after school. We were going straight to the field and we were going to find something to do to keep us busy at the field, but also get us better. And that's the way it was from my sophomore year to my senior year our downtime was going to the field and hanging out, whether it just be like chilling and like cleaning up the locker room or something, like just something simple. We were still around the game to a point where we weren't out doing something that was going to get us in trouble or doing something that's going to like sacrifice us from not being able to play that season. Like say we go get hurt doing something. And the times that we weren't there, like we'd be in the weight room somewhere. We'd be going, you know, lifting together. Like we, we did everything together. And we, like I said, we made the decision together you know, let's see how far we can make this. And um, you know, I think keeping each other in check was was very, was very, very helpful.
1: Were your buddies pitchers as well?
2: Uh, yeah. Um, we all pitched, but those two guys played different positions. I, I just pitched. <laughs> I couldn't <Go> hit.
1: <laughs> Did have you always liked the attention that comes from being the pitcher?
2: Um, it's kind of funny because I just recently my parents say I came out of my shell because I was literally like the shyest person ever. Any like conversation with someone I didn't know, like I was just like, like a introvert, very introverted. So it's kind of funny and ironic that like being an introvert, being a starting pitcher where literally the whole game revolves around you. So I I never was that person. I never, like, even to this day, like, like in a crowd, I don't really know. I'm still a little uncomfortable, but like I've started to learn to accept it and to be like, This is what my job entails. Like, you got to accept it and be good at it. So it just kind of happened. Like, I I just, one day it was like, all right, let's start talking. Let's start figuring this out. Let's start, you know, understanding how to do interviews or do podcasts or, like, talk to people, talk to strangers, talk to fans, like, stuff like that.
1: Do you like that, you know, let's say opening day this year, you guys are facing Cleveland. You know, the bottom of the scroll, it's going to say Cleveland, KC, Keller v. Bieber. Do you like that part of it? Has has that grown on you at any uh, any level?
2: Um, I I definitely think it's cool to see, you know, just because like I grew up watching Sports Center and to you know see my name go on the little ticker tape at the bottom that's that's really special. But you know I don't try to like get caught up in that because I know myself if I do I start getting really really nervous and kind of freak myself out over it. So I I don't I guess it also hasn't really hit me to the point of being like whoa like. That's really cool because I I feel like everything's happened so fast. I mean, even being three years into it, I still feel like everything's happened so fast to the point where I really haven't even sat back and being like, this is pretty sweet. Like, I have, but not. I feel like I haven't taken it all in because obviously you want to keep working and keep improving. Like, it's not like the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like at the end I'll finally be able to be like, okay, that that was awesome.
1: Like, right now it doesn't feel like you're doing the same thing that John Smoltz did.
2: Correct. Yeah. I feel like he's always the one to be like, never be complacent. Always want to get better. Always want to strive. Always want to find like that better fastball, better pitch, better grip continues on forever. But I feel like that's the way, I mean, not just me. I feel like that's the way we all are. We don't like want to be content with where we're at right now, no matter how good or bad of your season was. It's like, that was in the past. I can't do anything about it now. Like we got to move on. And, And I feel like that's why, you don't really get time to sit back and realize what you're actually doing because you just constantly want to like, you're constantly looking ahead and like kind of nose down, but like, all right, how do I get better? You know what I mean?
1: So what drew you to the mound? Was it just a a bomb right arm?
2: (laughs) I mean, I realized I couldn't hit. So (laughs) if if I wanted to have like a decent career in something, I had to, I had to, you know, learn how to pitch a little bit. And Like, I had a lot of arm issues when I was young, and so my parents stopped. They wouldn't let me pitch anymore, so I became an outfielder. And so, like, I always had a decent arm, and I love to, like, throw guys out from the outfield, so I always, like, wanted to, like, throw, like, very far, so I'd always long toss and stuff. And I took pitching lessons, but I never pitched in games. So I took pitching lessons probably when I, I don't know, sixth or seventh grade, and I didn't really start pitching in games until freshman year of high school. And then I was pitched on varsity as a freshman. And someone came up to me and was like, you know, like, you should probably, like, stick to pitching. I think you could be pretty good at it. So when
1: you're on the Hill today, what's your opinion of the hitter? Because I, you know, I I love old-time baseball and, you know, the Bob Gibson and Don Drysdale's. They hate the guy that's standing in the batter's box. What do you think of whoever it is in the box?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I I love that that mentality as well. Like my high school coach is like that guy is literally trying to take dinner off your table. That's gotta be your mindset. Because that's basically what it is. Like if hitter after hitter keeps taking dinner off your table, like you're not gonna be in that game very long. You're not gonna be around much longer. I kind of took that to heart a little bit to where it's like, this is a battle every pitch. It's not even just a just a hitter. It's every single pitch. It's a battle. And Either I'm going to win or you're going to win. It's pretty black and white when it comes to that. But it's like being in a competitive nature, you want to win every battle. So of the 100 pitches I get to throw that night, I want to win 100 pitches. And that's the mindset. It's just like I don't care who you are. I don't care what your stats are. I know what I want to do, and you're not going to beat me. That's my mindset. It's like I just want to go in there and win this pitch and win the next pitch and win the next pitch, and hopefully you're out in the first three pitches. that's and that's the goal like and i I feel like that's why personally i get really frustrated with myself whenever like start losing a few pitches where it's like um in 2019 that was like i kept walking everybody i'm i'm literally doing damage to myself putting two guys on felt like every inning just by walking them, and it's like i'm putting myself in a hole like that's when i kind of realized like i need to be better early i need to win the first pitch almost every single ab that way you know they're on their heels and it's easier to, to attack at that point
1: it's crazy uh you know watching that in 2019 from you and then chris and brady learning those same lessons this yeah. past year i mean the exact same things that that you went through it's it's just crazy how everyone has to learn the same lessons i don't care who you are where you're yeah. you're learning these
2: big league lessons exactly and the only way you learn it is by going through it a million people could tell you, hey, like you got to do it. But like until you literally get you're in the moment, you experience it, you see the other end of it and you're like, OK, now I figured out what I need to do. And it's it's you never want to be that stubborn to where it's like you don't listen to anybody because you do you are listening to people and you understand what they have to say. But it's like until you actually experience it, then it really hits and you're just like, yeah, I understand now."
1: I mentioned, you know, the the old school mindset. And and before the season, I was talking with Brett Saberhagen, you know, the great royal legend. Yeah. And I was diving into his numbers. Man, when he was your age, like your exact month, year, age, he had already thrown more than 1,300 innings in the big leagues. He was coming off his third straight season of 250-plus innings. So I was, like, asking him, you know, are you – More proud of that or like curious of what could have been if you would have been protected? Because after that year, arm issues got the best of him, and you know, he he could have been a Hall of Famer if maybe his arm would have been protected. How how do you feel about that balance? I brought it up to Mike Minor, you know, because guys like you and and Minor and Duffy are, are likely to be asked to make a huge jump in innings you know, Miner's like, yeah, I mean, give me the ball to the ninth inning. I would imagine you're going to say something similar, but how do you as an old soul balance the, I want to be a horse, but I also want to be in this game for 20 years.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, especially going into this year, it's going to be really tricky to, you know, to kind of understand what they're going to do. But like, you know, like Miner said, like, give us the ball. Like that's our goal as a starter. My job is to get as deep into that game as possible. I want to give the bullpen guys a break. I want to give the team a chance to win. And I want – personally, I want one guy to come out and be the closer. That's my goal every single time out. And whether they're going to allow us to do that, I don't know. But on my start day – because I get one every five days. Like, that's my day to go out there and grind for the team.
1: So, uh, this past year – when you're relaxing in the offseason, maybe taking a day off, and you're watching game six and Blake Snell gets yanked after giving up a hit, uh, what what are you thinking?
2: That was tough to watch. I mean, that Cy Young winner. like what, what more can you ask for a Cy Young winner, game six of the World Series, trying to force a game seven, and pitching lights out? Doesn't have a walk. He just gave up his second hit of the night. Yeah. I mean, like, what – He's got nine punchies. Like, what are we doing? Like, they're looking at that game. And granted, the Rays are like full on analytics. Like, and the, and that's might be why they were in the World Series. Might not. We don't know. But and if you saw, as soon as they pulled him, the Dodgers sparked up. Like, they you saw smiles on all their faces. They were getting dominated. They literally, they're one through four had seven punchies. Like alone. Like, I mean, what? Those are their dogs, and they. Oh man, it's so frustrating. Because it's like, I really hope that's not where the game's going.
1: It was amazing. I, I mean, I was glad I, I spoke with Dayton a few days ago just about guys like you and mine are making big jumps, and he's never one to put ceilings on anyone. He says, we're not we're not going to baby, baby these guys. They're the best in the world. And, you know, him and – well, Skip – Skip certainly doesn't seem like one that is married to the numbers. I mean, if if you're, we saw it last year with you. We saw it with Brady. He's he's gonna ride his horse.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's what I love about it. Like I love Skip for what for you know, obviously his unbelievable manager. It's been so much fun to play with him under him. Um, but it's like, I mean, you saw when Brady's carrying that no hitter. I mean, analytics would probably freak out that he's at 120 pitches, but dude has a no hitter. Like. Were you going to pull a guy in the seventh thing with no hits. Like that's for him to ride or die with that. Like that showed to us, like he's going to ride with his dogs. And and that's, that's why I love in a manager. Like, yeah, you got to understand the analytics side and you got to understand, you know, the numbers, but when it actually comes to game time, like look at the human element to it. That's what we got to focus on. Personal opinion. It could be completely different. Like, and, in, and it is through every organization um, but from what I've seen with the Royals, I feel like we have a great balance where we know the analytics side when we're working, when we're throwing our side sessions, when we're analyzing our start after, but when it's actually game time, let's see it. Let's just go out there and, and ride it out.
1: How about the business? I mean, the business side of things, you're arbitration eligible for the first time, you know, money's going to ho- hopefully start getting silly for you.
2: Do you enjoy the business side of this game at all? So I, I don't really get caught up into the business side just because I love the game for what it is. I don't play the game because of the money. I think that's why I am able to show up to the field every single day. And just, you know, just be grateful for being there. Just like, I, I don't wait around for the paychecks, if that makes sense. Like I'm literally, I'm just excited to be there. I'm excited to go out there and compete. I'm excited to watch our guys go out there and compete. Like that's what I love about the game. So I don't really, try to get too involved in the business side.
1: What was the best piece of advice pertaining to that stuff you got? Because I would imagine, you know, coming out of high school, you know, you have your family you can rely on, I guess your agent too, but uh, that's got to be a whirlwind.
2: Yeah, it's definitely way different. You know, you go from playing the game for fun, like I said earlier, to playing the game as a job. But I I mean, even to this day, I don't really see it as a job because I love what I do. And I love showing up to the field every single day. Like, even from when I, you know, was in the minor leagues, you know, we're in middle of nowhere America and I still wasn't like, Oh my gosh, like we've got to go you know, play a game today. I guess that was the one piece of advice is just like enjoy every single moment and let that side take care of itself. Like if you, if you show up to the field every single day, compete your ass off and win the other stuff will take care of itself. Like you, you literally won't have to worry about that. And so that was kind of, the piece of advice I, I got really early.
1: Have there been any um, long-term discussions
2: between you and the team? Um, no, n- not that I know of, no. Okay. Not right now. Yeah.
1: Well, either way, I can't imagine them letting you go anytime soon. So I uh,
2: <laughs> appreciate that.
1: From the moment you were drafted, when did the big leagues feel like the furthest away?
2: Uh, every single day. <laughs> it felt – I tell this all the time. It's like when I first got drafted, I showed up to Arizona. And I remember, like, it was that little mini camp right before short season. I remember there was, I don't know, 100 people there. And I was like, this is just short season. This is just rookie ball. And there's 100 guys. I was like, how am I going to be the one to get even out of this and let alone go to Lowell. Like, it felt like Lola was, like, miles away. I remember in the Arizona clubhouse, they have jerseys of every minor league affiliate. And I remember walking all the way down the AZL one and looking all the way down and seeing just the AAA one. And there's guys that fill up all these teams. I'm like, how am I going to be the one to get through it all? Like, how am I going to be able to stand out over all this? So how did you? Honestly... I don't know. <laughs> I felt like I felt like every step, like when I got to low A, I was like, oh, sweet. I'm in low A. But can you imagine how far high A is? Like that's California. Like that's all. That's so far away. Like ain't no way I'm going to make it there. And then when I got to high A, I was like, okay, cool. I made high A, but I'm still in A ball. Like double A. And and that's one thing you hear, that, that high A to double A skip is so big. Like that's where it's going to be a separator. I'm like, how am I going to make it to double A? Like how am I going to do it? But I think I just kind of took the day-by-day mentality of just, like, nose to the grindstone. And when I was in the minor leagues, because that was technically my college, I guess you could say, I try to, like, make it as much fun as possible. I was in Missoula, Montana, and that was a blast. I was in Hillsborough, Oregon, and that was so much fun. I went to King County, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. That was probably my favorite stop. Visalia, California, Jackson, Tennessee – wherever I was, I I had a group of friends that we always did everything together. And I knew they would tell me like, hey, you're going there and you're not leaving. You're there for the whole season. I was like, well, I'm stuck here. I'm going to make it the most. You know what I mean? I could be in, like I said, any of those places, but like I made it the most to where I enjoyed every moment of being there because I didn't want it to end. And I think that was kind of the mentality of me trying to like get through it because i was like this is also my livelihood like i don't really have a fallback plan. like this is it like if i want to make it work like this is gonna have to work so that was kind of the mentality so
1: well that that doesn't sound like an introvert to be honest i mean
2: <laughs> well that's when i started when, when, breaking when,
1: out of my shell a little bit okay is that is that when you're i get you said your parents is that what they were pointing to was was
2: yeah. minor leagues
1: is when you broke out of your shell
2: yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, I literally went from – when I got drafted, I didn't mean – I've never even been on a plane by myself. I was always on a plane with my family. Like, they always, like, took care of me and everything. And I get drafted on a Friday, and I'm literally flying out to Arizona on on Sunday at 7 a.m. by myself. Out in Arizona where I, I – I haven't even been as west as, like, past Mississippi. And here I am literally in Arizona by myself, 7 a.m., have no idea – Anybody I'm going to be with, I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. I mean, I was lost. And it was at that time where I was like, well, this is it. It's so what we dreamed of. Like, you're here. You made it. Make it work.
1: Why was Why was Kane County the best?
2: One, the, the fans there was a lot of fun. Like, we always had a great, great showing of fans. Um, we were good. That also helped. And Chicago is one of my favorite cities. So... You know, we had a little train stop right in the outfield. So any day game or whatever, we would just hop on the train, go down to Chicago and hang out until the last train was coming back to the western suburbs. Yeah, Chicago
1: Chicago in the summer. Oh, I can't
2: beat it. It's the best.
1: Hey, am I I remembering – weren't you on, like, a list of, like, most hated athletes in Chicago?
2: (laughs) Is that right? That's right. I'm I'm one of the uh, villains of Chicago. That's sweet. <laughs> I know. I'm feel honored. That's why I said in the tweet, "I'm honored." What
1: What did you learn from that whole thing with the White Sox and Tim Anderson? What What was the? How did you grow from it?
2: I think the biggest aspect of what of it was the social media side of it. I think I, I learned to. I feel like I got tougher skin in a in a way on social media. It was like I knew that if any of these people that were saying all this stuff to me on social media, if I saw any of them in person and it actually, there was an incident that happened where it was actually one of their verified accounts, not the actual white Sox one, but another one, um, that tweeted out something that was insulting to me. And I talked to Swanee about it and I said, Hey, like, I I just want to meet the guy. I don't, I'm not going to say anything bad. I just want to literally face to face. You were going to say this on Twitter, face to face. Let's, let's have a conversation. And, um, the guy refused to meet me. So in that aspect, it, I quickly learned that anybody can be keyboard warriors. You know what I mean? Like anybody can say whatever over social media. They're not actually going to say it to your face. Do
1: you remember the first time you had success in a pressurized spot?
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, in high school. I came in my freshman year. I wasn't new to pitching, but I was new to pitching in games. And it was against a rival of, in my county, but they are also – really good and we weren't good that year that was our only down year and thrown straight into the fire it was first and second we were up one run in like the fourth inning and they had their like big boppers coming up and I struck out two of them and got a ground out and I literally completed the rest of the game I threw three innings and we ended up winning and that was the first time where it was like I came into a moment where it was game on the line and I was able to come out on top and kind of prove to myself I was like, I enjoy this. I enjoyed that moment. I was terrified going into it, but that was fun looking back on it now. And I kinda of want, you know, you get that little adrenaline spike and you constantly like searching for that again. And I think that's what got me hooked on to doing this.
1: I heard uh, a former Cy Young award Lord when was now does uh, T V with the White Sox, Steve Stone, he was Watching some White Sox game last year, and he's talking about no fans. And he says, yeah, you know, there's still tons of pressure when you're in the big leagues. uh, But big league pressure, you have to have the crowd there to truly understand what big league pressure is about. How would you describe big league pressure? And do you think that for the guys that haven't yet performed in front of fans, they're going to learn something, hopefully, coming up in this upcoming season?
2: Uh, Big league pressure is something different nothing that I've experienced has come close to it. Every single pitch is you have pressure on it. Like they, they always say like minor league innings don't compare to big league innings. Like you'd have to throw 300 minor league innings compared to a hundred big league innings. That's kind of always been the, like the cliche, but it is true. It's a hundred percent true. Like every pitch it is, it's intense. And you try That's when I think the mental aspects comes into it. Cause you, you almost have to suppress that in order to compete. And I definitely think having no fans this year and having those guys make their debut was perfect because the whole like buildup of your debut is like, Oh my gosh. Like the first thing everyone says is there's so many fans there. There's that third deck that's staring you in the face. So it's like, okay, you don't actually think about the competing side of it. You're just thinking about, you know, like the perception of like what people think of you. So for these guys to come in and right away, understand the competing side of it and don't even have to worry about the fans it's going to be a lot easier of a transition for when they come in they'll be like oh this is this is actually nice to have people here this is nice to hear the actual roar of the crowd this is going to be like a soothing a comforting feeling because i already been here on competing side yeah. i don't have to worry about like it's it's that whole experience thing like i've experienced the competing side i've experienced facing these guys i've experienced the ups and downs of every pitch of every game. Now I feel like the fans are going to be an added bonus to where it's like, okay, now I have that little kick of adrenaline. I have that little bit of more velo on it. I got a little bit tired of a breaking ball. Like it's, I think it's just going to only elevate their games.
1: In those kind of moments, in those pressurized moments, what do you hear? What do you see? Because for us, we only see the movies.
2: What's it like? Yeah. you actually like that whole tunnel vision aspect that they do is a hundred percent real. You don't hear anything. It's baffling. I'll tell you that's the only time that I hear the roar of the crowd is after I give up a run and I'm backing up home plate and I'm walking to the mountain. That's the only time I hear the roar of the crowd. Other than that, like I hear nothing. You're so dialed in, you're so locked in, you're so focused on what you got to do to get this guy out that you don't hear the crowd. It's, it's kind of crazy. Are you, what are you
1: curious about when it comes to October baseball?
2: I just want to know what, it's, what it feels like. I want to know everything about it. I want to just take it all in. I want to be able to go out there and, and experience what so many people have experienced and so many people have told stories about, to actually like, have my own story of like this is what happened, this, is, this was our team. It always seems like everyone that makes it to October, they always talk about the team and how close the team was and how much fun that team was. Like, I want to experience that. And I think, personally, I think our team is that team. Like, we are really tight. We're really close. We're learning a ton. I mean, I think it shows over the three years our progression. Like, it seems like every single day, like, guys are getting better. Um, and we keep adding pieces, which also helps out a ton. And, like, I just want to experience that with a, with a group of guys that are really tight and to go out there and compete in front of Kaufman. It's something that everyone dreams of as a kid and to actually be able to be close to experiencing that is, you know, it's, it's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, man. I'm, uh, you guys got some dogs. Your skipper's a dog. I'm, uh,
2: I'm
1: looking forward to, uh, this upcoming season.
2: You just stay healthy
1: and, uh, take care of yourself, man. I really appreciate the time.
2: Yes, sir. Will do. I appreciate you having me.